welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about a campaign pitch from Buddy. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And a campaign pitch me is something we haven't done for a while, but uh, Mango's getting back from Gen Con, yeah. and we can't talk about Baldur's Gate yet, so yeah. this is a pretty good reason to go for it. And honestly, Baldur's Gate has put me... Oh, God, it's such a D&D place. I'm in such a D&D place right now. Holy fuck. Okay, so a campaign pitch me is when one of us pitches the other on a general sort of approach to a campaign, right? To a um, a D&D campaign, um, including a... Uh, you know, I don't know, just all of the all of the individualized kind of pieces. I was gonna say it's and a little bit more had... than a an individual approach. It's like a storyline. It's not. It's, yes, it's yeah, typically absolutely. system agnostic, but you know. Uh... But then also talking about you know like what are the interesting and like riffing a little right like yeah. what are the interesting things you can do with like a with an idea like that right like where you know where can you where can you kind of go and I have had this idea in my head for the longest time about a campaign set in essentially i wouldn't want to do an actual world war ii version but essentially in a fictionalized version of the battle of stalingrad from world war ii so like to, to put some history down right stalingrad is just a fucking it is an unreal battle kind of told from beginning to end stalingrad is a um it's a it's a city on the volga river uh the volga is a river that i think it goes south into the caspian sea um so just kind of in the steps by uh it might even be in ukraine at this point um it uh was it's a city that's on that river and it's a really big linchpin of the river to get kind of from one side to the other obviously militarily you know controlling a city on a river like volgograd um as it is known now, Stalingrad, as it was known then, um, is incredibly, incredibly important, right? Um, and basically, the story of Stalingrad is that the op the the Nazi attack, Operation Barbosa, right? Um, this is when Hitler breaks the non-aggression pact with Stalin. Um, he invades Russia, pushes in with the you know pushes in with the Third Reich, and is trying to get to Moscow before winter in order to break the backs of uh uh the the eastern front of his of his sort of like russian enemies the turning point on the eastern front is stalingrad and the reason why is it just becomes a meat grinder of german and russian soldiers right um because the city is a city, it offers a lot of place for cover. So it's actually a really useful spot to put tons and tons of soldiers because they just can't be shelled into oblivion, right? You know, when you have when you have artillery just attacking the French countryside, for instance, right? There's nothing to there's nothing to hide behind. There's nothing that can save your life, right? Um, but in a city, you actually have essentially fortifications because you have all these brick buildings, right? Um, it can save people's lives from from an attack like that. Uh, so both Russia and Germany are putting people into are putting people into Stalingrad, right? Um, and they're basically just filling the whole city end to end with soldiers, right? But as winter comes, um, it becomes just this like hellish, brutal place 
to try and survive, right? On the German side, you are far from home. You are on the very tip of the of the front lines, right? Um, you tend to have pretty good supplies, but those supplies are so rickety, right? Because any attack from, you know, any flanking attack could disrupt things because you are so far from sort of your base of operations, right? The place where those supplies are coming are coming in from, right? On the Russian side, you're defending your home, but you don't have supplies at all because Russia just is, the Soviet Union is just doing a terrible job keeping its men outfitted and equipped. There are guys going into Stalingrad famously two soldiers for every gun, right? They don't have enough guns. So they have these, um, so they have, uh, you have a partner, right? You have a, you and another guy. And if your partner dies, you just, you take his rifle. That's your rifle. Now, if you see a dead guy on the ground, you grab that, you grab that rifle. Right. Um, and you're fighting over city streets, you know, you're fighting over blocks and over like neighborhoods, right. Um, over even just buildings. And some of these buildings are real buildings, you know, doing work. You know, some of these buildings are factories, right. That are, in the midst of everything, trying desperately to put out the supplies that you need, right? Making boots for the army or something like that, right? Um, and, uh, but at the same time, some of these factories are just completely bombed out, nothing, right? Because they have been absolutely, you know, they have been absolutely annihilated. In the story of history, right, Stalingrad is a major win for the Soviet Union because that thing I had mentioned earlier comes true. Um, the Russian lines, uh, the, the Russian advance sort of slows in winter and this brutal, you know, fighting is taking place. Um, and the Russians uh, eventually... Um, uh, surround the city, right? Uh, in a, in a pretty typical sort of, um, you know, uh, I don't even know what you would call that. Like they entrapped the Germans inside of Stalingrad, but they couldn't get, they couldn't get any new supplies because they couldn't get, you it's know, they couldn't break out. Yeah, right. Exactly. They basically, they basically trapped. It's an entrapment is what it is, what it's yeah. called. And even in places like in like the, the, um, the Hearts of Iron Four subreddit, people will get thousands and thousands of upvotes for like, you know, rate my Stalingrad, and it will just show all of the armies that you were able to encircle, right? And you are now starving out um, of of your supplies. Yeah, Stalingrad, all of those German forces, uh, the Germans actually tried a lot in order to keep themselves upright, including just airlifting supplies, right? Uh, because the, you know, the Luftwaffe actually did have control, it did have air superiority, um, but they just couldn't, keep it you know they just couldn't keep it up and uh and eventually that entire army uh surrenders to the soviet union i think it's like a hundred thousand guys or whatever so the essential campaign pitch me is for D, &D game but you can do this in anything i'm gonna use D, &D just because it's easy right but like theoretically you could also do this um on like you know a Star Wars game, right? Starfinder game, any like a sci-fi. You can maybe do a post-apocalypse version of this in any sort of post-apocalypse kind of, uh, you know, uh, kind of system or whatever. The idea is the party is a group of soldiers, right? A squad who have who are being introduced to this meat grinder of a battle in action, in motion, right? Um, and it progresses in my head from being one of the grunts like the frontline soldiers to becoming i don't i i you know i want to say like a special forces right but eventually the the entire battle is won by these characters 
essentially completing the campaign, right? So it, do, it the thing that it takes to win the battle of, of fantasy Stalingrad, right, is to get a party of adventurers to level 20 or whatever your capstone would end up right. being in this in this instance, right? Or high enough. Um, yeah, high enough, right, that they can uh, go achieve that victory. Is it, that, that's the that's like the oh, sorry, okay some, something something you haven't real quick. something you haven't clarified is do you envision the players being part of the German army or you know the the German army equivalent and breaking out or mm-hmm. the Russian army the German army equivalent and breaking out yes that one or the Russian army no actually I was thinking the opposite I was thinking I think the Soviet that, so sort of quick, start- that sounds worse and I don't know why. Oh really? Oh man, what did I do? Maybe you're blowing um, it out. Maybe you're just blowing it out. Oh, maybe I was just blowing it out. Yeah, hold on. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, I I think the more interesting start is actually to be essentially on the Soviet side of that battle, right? Where you're starved for resources and you're just kind of like, you know, it's kind of imagine putting um putting a putting a like a group of adventurers in there with sort of nothing, right? Um. And uh, and I have and this is this is a part of the the thing for me. You don't actually start at level one with gear or gold, right? You start at level one with like nothing, and the very first encounter is going over like a recent battle and looting corpses to try and find something to use, right? So it's not oh I'm a fighter and I start with a greatsword. It's I'm a fighter. I don't start with anything, and the very first encounter is, you know. Essentially, imagine your sergeant going, "You're the new recruits. Do you have any? Do you have any gear?" Everybody says no. It's like, okay, well, three blocks that way, six blocks that way, right? We just had a squad of guys get taken out. It's up to you to go loot their shit, right? And I feel like this is this is also such a core part of the fantasy. The idea that even from level zero, right, um, the op- the operation of getting armor getting weapons right is something that happens in 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 universe and you have no sort of choice you just kind of have to figure it out right even when you're under fire because i think something that's an interesting sort of thing that doesn't happen in like a level one kind of um uh a level one kind of campaign is the idea of like donning armor for the first time yeah you know what i mean yeah 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 um so this is so so essentially the idea would be that you play as the Russian army, and then you you eventually, well, like, so, see, the th- reason I think this doesn't work is because Stalingrad, like, you know, Russia wins because of overwhelming numbers, right? Like, this is kind of like, this is history, right? Like, you know, winter mm. comes, you can't beat Russia in the winter, and they also have 10 billion people, and they don't care if, you know, a, you know, a billion of them die, right? Um, so, the like, my first reaction is to say something like, um, I think the natural thing here is you want it to always be an inversion, Right. The natural thing here is like you do something like, you know, the evil empire has, you know, basically press ganged you into service. Right. And so you're opening your playing for the Russian equivalents. But then you heal face turn, you know, obviously without without saying that the Germans were the faces in the real World War Two. Yeah, right? obviously. So to be clear, yeah, so to be clear, 
that I, 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 I like the moralistically, I don't care about yeah. the, the Russians or the, it is the, it is the setting of Stalingrad that I think is so yeah. creatively interesting. Not, you know, the ideologies behind it. Yeah. Right. Yes. You know, no, Nazis versus communists. Not a, not a, not a fun yeah. thing to pick sides and also on. To be clear, I'm not, I, I don't think it's interesting to do an allegory, right? I wouldn't want the battle to follow, you know, the, the same progression, okay. right? I think it's the situation and the vibes that really appeal to me. Okay. But so anyway, see, go that, on, that right? is interesting because I don't have a full campaign around this, but I do have an idea for like a like sub adventure, which is basically the Bay of Pigs invasion, where um, you play as like like the essentially a frogman squad and similar things. I, we could talk about that later. Oh, if interesting. We, if we've got time, um, uh, but um, I think the way that you'd want to do this is right. You know, Evil Empire press gangs you into service. Like you said, you don't have mm -hmm. anything. You have to pick up stuff, um, and then eventually, like you know, you realize you know oh, there's hope on the other side, and you turn, but this is right when the evil empire starts winning, and so you, then you have to break out, right? Like, and I think that's what okay. makes it compelling. Um, because you don't, you never want to be on the winning side, right? That's, how you, that's how, you, how you build the stakes, and that's, like, the easy way to tell that story, right? You know, the Germans have the initial, or the, you know, the German equivalent have the initial advantage because they have the supply and they have the momentum, right? Um, uh, and obviously you flavor it a little bit differently. And then as the tide turns, you want to be on their side because you don't, you don't want to be, I think like, you know, the, you don't want to be, um, burnt, you know, you want to be the underdog. Right? Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Right. Like, um, and, uh, and you know, that, I, I think that's the way you'd want to, you'd want to play it. But I think, I think that's actually a, a really cool idea because I think the idea of breaking the siege is cool, but I also think like like what you said is is you know you know having to come from literally nothing and build your way up. Um, that is how... actually really interesting. Yeah, uh, I, I I think I would want to phrase it a little bit differently in the sense that that kind of thing could be a choice, right? It's sort of like in okay, when yeah. we did Hell's Rebels, right? Um, there was a pretty momentous choice that we've talked about on the cast in the past, where you guys, where at the end of the book, at the end of book three, Barzillai Thrun, who was the villain up to that point, came to you guys and sort of offered to team up as long as you know he got what he wanted he was willing to give you what you wanted and you guys took that offer actually right um and uh and true to his and you know listen barzillai thrun was a lawful evil guy he was true to his word right uh and he fought with you until the very end um and uh and i think that that sort of choice is always really interesting in a in a in a game like this right where you can create a compelling argument in a way for both sides right yeah. because i do think that there is something to be said for right um authoritarian regime i i think here's what i would want to frame it as one you have authoritarian regime who are um kind of decidedly evil right but the people that you're working with aren't evil right yeah. i think this is kind of the you know like the, the, the this is like a, a thing lot of, sort of brothers about this right like the, the german foot soldier isn't you know aren't typically ideologically aligned they're kind of like just fighting for their country type of deal Right. Yes, absolutely. Right. And so the idea, I think you could kind of pose a question of, do you want to defect as, um, on, on at least one side, do you want to fight a fight back against the evil empire? Right. Or do you want to, um, kind of stick with your, your friends and comrades, right? The people that you have been fighting this battle with are good people who you like, but you know that they are doing things in service of essentially 
evil, right? Um, even if there is no villain, it's not like you're going to end the campaign by killing Joseph Stalin himself, right? It's not like there's a villain in the battle that you can go, right, like turn against. It is the 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 system that is that is bad, essentially. And I feel like you could actually kind of mirror that on the opposite side, right? Which is to say that, you know, sort of the attacking force are a true liberation army, right? In the sense of um, like a crusade. I would, I would think about it this way, right? Imagine paladins, you know, like imagine a group of paladins who are attacking the evil empire, right? Um, but I think the the drama there is can you convince them to allow you to defect, right? These are people who are used to killing you on sight, right? Um, and one of the things that I guess is a little bit touchy, but I think is interesting along these sorts of lines, is the nature of fantasy races playing into this kind of thing, right? Obviously, a person isn't necessarily Russian or German just on their face, right? But, like, you could exist in a world where I see a, an orc and I kill it, right? Um, part of what makes D&D D&D is the ability to just at a glance recognize these creatures, uh, whether that's creatures of different races or, you know, monsters or whatever else, right? right. Like you're, you're, you know, understanding who's in, who's in kind of the monster manual. And so the idea that you have to kind of like, not just sort of, um, not just sort of betray these like friends, right? Um, but sort of contend with the prejudices of the people who you might believe to be in the moral right, I think is actually pretty interesting and compelling. That's that's interesting where they go with it too. I was going to say like the other way you could play this too is um, make both kind of like morally ambiguous, right? Like, you know, make the, you know, they press ganged you, but like, you know, it's not like they're the worst people. It's not like, it's not just make like, like you're basically peons cut up, caught up in a conflict between two powerful nations that don't give two shits for your survival regardless, right? Yep. Yeah, um, sure. And then you just kind of make it about surviving, right? Like, you know, you don't actually make it about you like your party doesn't care about the the actual outcome of the battle, right? Like you care about you guys and like maybe you you can also like build up like, you know, like a coterie around you or something like that. And the and the idea is just to survive and get out and it's just however you do that, right? That's like a, a very desperate kind of like, you know, dark like you don't do I you don't do that quite noble, right? I don't think you, you just like you strip all the idealism out of it and just kind of like we're just looking to survive. We want to go home to our families, type of deal, type type thing. Um, you could play it that way too. But I think I think I think any of those approaches really works all right. Like I, I think I think all three of those actually could could, could work for a uh, for a particular particular way to do it. Um, yeah. So in my head, book one is very much surviving, right? The idea. I I mean, I'm calling it book one, but I would uh, I I don't know. I guess I just like to think about these sort of terms. But we're, really, what I'm saying is like levels like one to four. Right. Um, this is where you guys are sort of nothing. Um, man, my audio is really weird, huh? Yeah. I'm like looking at the thing and it feels like I'm blowing out the game. Yeah. Like you, you, super hard. You're, you're pretty blown out, but I, I didn't want to screw up the. Uh... I wonder if I, I wonder if I hit my. Uh... Sorry, I have some like knobs. Oh, that yeah, was bad. Yeah, that's worse. Um, what on earth is happening? Um, man, I don't know what's going on. This is this is crazy. 
I wonder if it's like a, a computer setting thing. You might have like your recording volume too high. Um, right before we flipped over, I, I think I said, you know, you know, Windows works for two years and falls apart. It was also falling apart on my side for different reasons. But, you know. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess there's nothing I can really do, but just keep on. Yeah, I would say on. you sound softer, but still just as blown out. And I don't know what's what's happening. Yeah. What is up with that? Um. I lowered my input value in Discord, I guess, to try and make it. Yeah, I don't think that's. Man. Um, anyway, maybe, maybe the answer is I can't really solve this. Uh, and maybe the answer is, do you want me to switch back to my other mic? Yeah, I think that's probably the right way to go. Okay, I'm going to do that for Discord. And... You need to turn up your gain again, because now you're very quiet. Okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. So in my, in my head, that first book, that that level one to four thing, right? Um. That's very built around the idea of um survival, right? This is when like you're nothing, you're maggots, you're just trying to survive. You get you get told by people to do you know just like the most basic inane things like hold this square this fountain right and it's like you're fighting you know like the battles that you're fighting are just against like enemy you know like enemy foot soldiers but you're not really doing anything more complex than that right in my head this sort of like sets the 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 sort of baseline um considerations for what for what's getting done and it's before you know it's before things kind of like pop off for you and your team but obviously you know just like fighting over city blocks for you know session after session gets boring or whatever um which is when you know uh the players sort of level up into a place of fame right which is you know a battle a real sort of fight that tests their most um that tests their most Test complicated uh that it's a battle that tests their 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 real uh their like real skills um and they come out like against all odds right um yeah. and it's in that battle where they earn sort of fame for the first time and the trajectory swings pretty wildly after that really i think i think part of what i would want to do is i would want to create like an obligation system sort of like in star wars i think actually um because I think Star Wars obligations are a really interesting way to sort of create narrative tension um, inside of a battle. But I wouldn't want to do it in the backstory. I'd want to do it dynamically. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like introducing a character like or I'm sorry, maybe a better way to phrase this would be like imagine in that first. Early phase, so you like you fight a mini boss or like a villain and that villain becomes like like a recurring character it's like that kind of an obligation i think that 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 becomes like interesting and compelling do you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely that makes sense yeah <sighs> yeah and my pitch for this and i feel like everyone has done this 
but I've never seen it done right. And I think this is the this is the secret. Okay, everyone says everyone says it won't work, but I'm here to tell you that I could make it work. It's to create a rival party on the opposite end of the spectrum, where you are fighting against another like squad of adventurers who are fighting like you know block by block, city street by city street kind of thing, um, and they become sort of the 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 evil mirror to your good whatever i don't know the, i had this idea before i was thinking about like you could defect or whatever um but i just i think the i think the ash ketchumness of it where like you know we talked with josh a couple of weeks ago about how like pokemon i guess it was last week yeah about how pokemon is you know kind of uh, like baby's first jrpg but they have that thing where gary or blue or whatever you want to name him is the you know you is like a recurring a recurring evil opposite and i think that you could do that but with like a party and it would be it would be fun hmm yeah i think it'd be i think it'd be tough though right like because like i think it's tough to like really set it up in a way that like resonates right like is, is the idea that you beat them at the end of this first stage you don't know i think it would probably take a little bit longer because okay. really because the, the full trajectory is like you know, going from nobody to heroes, right? Yeah. Um, you know, like, like, so let's say book one is um, survival. Book two is 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 fame, right? Book three would be outside of the city, but participating in these these extra flanking. Essentially, imagine a commander in the city who's like this unit, whatever you guys want to call yourselves, right? Like, unit eight thirty five, right? Is doing exceptional things well the real thing we need to do to win this battle is to let's say do this flanking maneuver and so now all of a sudden you're not you're not fighting in a city anymore you're not fighting in city streets now you're fighting in the plains outside of the battle and and you have completely different right like a completely different environment to kind of tangle with right um where you know you're rooting out artillery nests, right? Um, or fighting with cavalry charges, right? Like this kind of thing. And that's the thing that I think spices the, you know, spices the campaign up to make it more um, uh, various. I guess various is yeah. what I want to use. I've got a co- um, so. Okay, so maybe I'm a little bit too stuck in the frame, but I've I've got a couple of ideas on on this too, right? Like so, okay. I think I think for this. First thing, I think you really want to sell that everybody's really scrabbling, right? Like if you're a caster, you don't have a component pouch. If you're prepared, you don't have a spell book, right? Like you have to like, like you, because you, you want to make it them scrabble. You want them to be like, you have to find, like if the spell says you need bat guano, you need to go find bat guano because you don't have your component pouch, right? Like, um, and that's how you make the spell caster scrabble in the same way that like, um, the, 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 the more gear fighter has to get like an unrusted sword, right? right? Yeah. Right. Like, you know, you know, the, the, your wizard, he finds like a half torn spell book with like, you know, you know, light and like, you know, shocking grasp on it, right? And like, you know, and he's gotta like you know, he's like stapling pages together, right, to like get get like a a thing. So I'm with you there. I think this the fame segment makes sense. I think you like like in my mind, right, in universe, it's kind of like those like Soviet propaganda posters. It's like be like, you know, the um be like the heroes of, of Cavalder Square or whatever, right? Like, you know, um, and the Empire is like using you and putting you up on a pedestal. Um, I think what you want, I think what you want is the um, uh, 
the rival party to initially be like another squad that's similarly situated to you, right? Like on your side, right? Like they're just like like they're oh, not they're not directly opposed, um, right? Um, and then I think the thing that popped in my head for this third arc is to say we need you to run this flanking attack, but it's going to come out that that flanking attack is actually not the actual thing. That's basically like you're running a diversion because everybody knows the heroes of Cavalder Square while your rival party is actually doing the. The, the like the import like the the real objective um and i think the thing the way i i would play this is that like you know you know the 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 empire is looking to martyr you so they don't expect you to come back right and like if you want and that's that's where you can put the the turn opportunity if you want that kind of thing again obviously i have a very particular vision for this but i think that's like one good option for it right yeah no that's interesting because i i was going into exactly opposite place i actually like the idea that your your rival party is inside of the empire right it, it is another unit in the, like another squad that you are contending with sort of in, for fame right but in but i think the the climax of that third book isn't um isn't about being martyred it's about doing something heinous right it's about like okay you complete this attack and now you have 6,000 prisoners of war, right? And you get a direct order not to bring them to a prison, like not to capture them, but to slaughter them, right? And it's like, that's the, and this is the part where it's mm. like, holy fuck. Now I, I, you know, I was able to, I was able to, to put aside, yeah, I was just a fighter, right? But now the empire's asked me to do something brutal. Am I willing to do that? The answer might be yeah. And your yeah. party is going to continue on, and you guys are going to kind of go down this evil route, right? But it might be no, and that's the point of defection. And the people who step up and do this massacre, right, um, and kind of own your fame and fortune from then on is sort of your your alternate sort of like rival group. That yeah. is a really interesting so sort of. I think the way I you know, play it is your rival party. They're like the sons of like oligarchs, right? Like you know, they're like they're like you know the the you know the rich kids or whatever, right? Like the yeah, you know, what's 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 it in in the outside is the socs the socias and the greasers, they're the socias, right? Like they have the privilege and they're mad at you because you're famous and that should be their fame and this is all a game to them, right? And mm -hmm. they don't hesitate when the order is is given down, like you said to to to, to slaughter. Yeah, I think I think that works too. That that actually works super well, right? Like. They're like, why, why would you like, you know, and maybe, maybe they start to come around on you, right? They're like, you're actually effective, right? You're not so bad for a lowborn or whatever, right? And then they just start like casually like offing the prisoners, right? And, and you know, and that's when you either, you know, embrace or, or turn, right? Like, um, yeah, I, it's funny because um, part of what I think is interesting about this is something, I, something I've always found really fun and compelling as like a spectacle, right? Like as yeah. a set piece is like thinking about fantasy, like war, right? What would it look, what would warfare look like? Right. I think this is a lot of what makes like, um, like the battle of Helm's deep and like Lord of the Rings, right. Like resonate with people. It's like, Oh, well, obviously, you know, we don't have an army of a hundred thousand orcs with trolls with catapults on their back. Right. But part of what makes this sort of setting cool 
is imagining what it would be like for this fantasy race to 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 lay siege, right? Total Warhammer Three is like built on this, right? Yeah, when the Lizardmen lay siege, they have these big ass dinosaurs, right? Uh, when chaos comes, they're going to you know perform heinous rituals and summon greater demons, right? All of this kind of thing, and you could you could have a ton of different variation along these sorts of uh, along these sorts of lines that are like very like setting specific. But in my head, I think a lot of the exploration that's getting done is getting done on that level right where it's like your mission now like actually um a good example of this something i did in hell's rebels that i thought was uh a good structure uh or that i liked doing was uh, introducing certain enemies and then reintroducing them later as a different kind of caliber of enemy right so for instance i think you guys fought a um uh maybe it was a minotaur Right, like you were like a gorbel, I think was is what it might have been mm. called. It's like uh you know, like a large minotaur. They're kind of uh, they have a big great axe. They just like beat the shit out of you. Um, this was part of uh, this was part of when you guys were fighting beastmen, right? Um, the beastmen when they when they get hit, they they have a spray of blood, and their blood is infectious. Uh, and it will and it can turn you into a beastman. It's a poison, right? This kind of thing. Um, and I think you guys fought one of these gorbels at like level four. But then you again, maybe around level eight or nine, you can now they the gorbals go from oh this is a one entity enemy right boss enemy for us to take down at the apex of a session versus this is you know a, we can we can mow down a group of these right and I think you would want to do something similar right like the the capstone of that first book of that survival book is like fighting something like maybe like a war troll if we're just going to be generic about it right um but then later down the line part of what makes you guys so heroic is that oh yeah like i can like snipe a war bull or a a, a war troll from like miles and miles away and it's not even an issue right like that kind of a thing yeah no that makes sense and i think i think you're right like having kind of um Having having a PSC setting lets you kind of like do that progression. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, no, that makes that makes total sense. So like, let's 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 uh, let's push a little bit further in. Then you know. Okay, so the other thing I was thinking was that so part my initial thought didn't have the defection. So I just have to guess. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Going. Maybe include, but a piece of Stalingrad that I like a lot is the idea of okay, the encirclement goes off, right? We have 100,000 men behind enemy lines, right? They are low on everything, and we have one resource that our enemy doesn't, which is air power. So what we're going to do is we're going to load up these planes, and we're just going to drop supplies into the city, and that's how we're going to keep them up. In my head, the way that this part of the battle worked is about, okay, you know, now you guys become sky pirates right? Your job is no longer to fight in the streets of the city, right? You know, it doesn't matter. Like, it would be a waste of your time to sit there and, like, go and contest these crates. That's for, that's for, you know, the new press gangs, whatever, right? Like, rank and file to do. Your job is to go and bring down these, you know, supply missions, essentially, right? Um, Doing kind of like a, like a, almost like a small pirates of the caribbean sort of like ship combat-esque thing but with like airships over the city right where you are the the empire is 
sort of outmatched in aerial combat, but with the power of you guys, you, you're going to be able to like equalize it or whatever. I guess you could just do the same sort of thing, but in reverse in a way. Right. Um, or you can maybe, you know, try and, um, uh, I don't know, solidify the, uh, like solidify the the supply runs that you're getting in or maybe like you could make some sort of like big villainous piece of piece of things to to yeah, deal I with mean, if I, you are on like I think whichever side you're like you know you're not running you're not running both sides of this story right like if your players detect yeah. an effect or if they don't they don't right you just make that side be the dominant like you know the other side is the dominant air side right like either things have gone better than expected for the oh, empire interesting yeah I guess I wasn't thinking about that, but that actually does make sense, right? You would make it, you would make it so that you have to break through their big aerial defenses. Yeah. And I like the idea of like because this is one of those like classic D and D things, right? I think airships are like a classic D and D. Everybody loves the idea of these giant airships. Eberron obviously had airships that were powered by bound elementals, but I think there's a million different versions of this that you could, you know, use from sort of like artificer versions of airships to like more magical versions of it or whatever. Um, and so that's about uh, that's about sort of kind of securing this like aerial you know like supply line thing. Um, and then book five in my in my thing was even this isn't working, right? This is a stopgap measure, but we're not actually winning. We can't win the battle with this, right? So now what you need to do, you have the enemy encircled. Um, you're beating back, I guess, in the in the pro empire version, you you are beating back their supply lines, right? But you need to break their backs. You need to like end them, right? Um, and that becomes essentially what I would call a mega dungeon, right? Which would be um, sort of crushing the resistance entirely by um, attacking in like a daring raid their mo their 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 headquarters, right? Um, which is where they have all of their high-level shit, all of their high-level guys, right, doing all of their high-level stuff. And uh, actually, and the, yeah, the thing I, I would say, oh, like sorry. the way the way you do this on the pro empire side, right, is like, you know, turns out they have a teleportation circle and they're still getting supplies in. You have to kill their like, you know, their 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 teleportation mage or whatever, right? Like the linchpin, uh, the the linchpin to their continued continued success, that that type of thing. Okay, so I have an interesting thing for that, but yeah. And so the idea is you're making this daring attack on you're making this daring attack on the enemy command and you end up killing the enemy commander. This is the this is like the the ultimate sort of battle in like book five or whatever. But unbeknownst to you in, in the original conception of this, the rival party is doing the same thing and has massacred your side as well but they're worse about it and they essentially set off what what i would consider like a magical essentially like nuclear device right and decimate you know like the city but it's not just any device it is something that presents a new in like incredible threat so something akin to like the world wound or like chaos rifts or something like where it is a, an extra planar gate where now you have demons from the abyss or something, right? Flooding into the material realm. And this is what sets up the final kind of context for the campaign is now you guys are sort of reversed. The, there is no command structure. 
everything has broken down and the only thing that heroes can do is find a way to go close that rift to present prevent the entire world from being overrun with you know kind of like whatever else and closing that rift is the is the kind of ultimate thing that happens in the in the campaign that ends the battle sort of like once and for all right um that was what i had initially pitched but obviously some of that would change depending on how how you would have to go about it right um maybe i guess if you don't defect the rival party would have to defect at that point and you are now on opposite sides kind of going on no matter what does that make sense yeah no that that could do that could work um you could also do something like um what is it um like you could like if you wanted to be like really bad about it right you could have them kind of be like spiteful or whatever or like you know um like you accomplish your goal but it turns out like you know they there was a time limit that you didn't know about that you always miss right like you mm -hmm. know this needed to be done by this you know it's like you know basically they send you on this mission but they're not telling you is that somebody on the top right needs this done and doesn't really believe in your ability to do it and so they give you until this time but whoever that time is never told to your party so you always miss it and it's like all right well then we're going with option x and option x is opening this portal right and it, it just goes horribly wrong right like that that kind of thing yeah um i feel like i feel like this is the kind of thing that has to happen in like essentially dnd games you have to get to this otherworldly point just because like i just like don't think there are a lot of credible high level threats Right, that don't come out of you know, like you can't put a level seventeen party up against anything that, that like originates in the material world, except for like the Terrasque, right? You know, something like that. Yeah. Oh, you know what you could do? You could do that, like the again. This is let's puts less 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 weight on the opposite party, but you could do something like you know, like I was saying, like the teleportation mage, right? Like, um. It's not a teleportation. It's just like they, they straight up made a deal with the devil, right? To like, um, and that's what causes it to to to, to pop out, right? Like, um, I also th I think you want to play part of this by ear, right? Like, because you can have a couple different relationships with the rival party. You can have pure antagonism, in which case you want them to be the bad guys. You can have like like dark but friendly rivalry, right? And you can do kind of like the heel face turn thing, right? It's like you know, command, you know decided that you weren't going fast enough and so they unleashed like you know the the magic nuke or whatever and at that point the rival party says like even this is too far for us and like you you know they re redeem themselves in fighting against like the the hordes or whatever it, 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 i i think you want to play that depending on how your party in, in, interacts with the rival party right because they're mm. you know like i said band of brothers plays it like you know um you know you kind of see that even though you they never interact with the but they, they kind of like you know, give you a hint that there was a, there was kind of like another story happening on the other side of the screen that you never see. Right. Like, you know, if you have that kind of relationship where they're, they're just other people fighting for the other side. Right. Like, you know, um, you figure out how to, you know, deal with, deal with that. Right. Like, you know, if, if, if it's their side that like drops the, you know, it, yeah, I, I think you want to play all that by year, but I think, I think, I think that all makes sense. And that works. I think you want that to be, otherworldly because it lets you it lets you pull in those elements if you want it to be right like a dangerous third party lets you redeem elements that want to be redeemed not redeem elements that don't want to be redeemed right um but you take it out of the direct hands of the opposing party essentially you want it to be you don't want your rival party to be the big bads you want them to be kind of like you know the man in front of the man right like or that you want you want the actual 
threat to be like one step above them. That way you can have them like, you know, you defeat them at the end of either book five or like, you know, they, you know, they heal face turn at the end of book five or something like that, depending on context. Oh, that, yeah, that's inter- I guess I was envisioning the rival party as the big boss, right? Because in a way, I sort of like the idea that there's not a real villain in the sense of it's something that there's like a big bad evil guy, right? Um, who is doing the thing, right? You don't go to Berlin and kill Hitler. You don't go to Moscow, right, and kill fantasy Stalin, right? It is the specific people that you it, the and the, the the war itself is kind of outside of the scope of this I campaign, see. right? You would probably learn more about it. I think it would be interesting to kind of like know more or think about, you know, like what's going on or hear news or maybe some stuff interacts with it, right? Um but uh but realistically, I was thinking that the the villains at the end of the campaign are sort of these evil opposites and it is putting down the enemy version of you that really sinks the 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 chances of the opposite side of winning this you know okay winning this battle in whatever if that's the case it i don't i think you don't want demons and devils you want like you want like something like a Tarrasque. You you want essentially a force of nature. You want like the elemental planes, right? Like or yeah. Or oh, so, the elemental planes would be perfect for that, right? Yeah. yeah. So essentially something that's like mindless, right? Like you know maybe it's like you know uh, a a rift to like a planet where a bunch of like dumb you know like shitty mindless aliens roll through, right? Or like I don't. It, essentially, the, the the point is is you don't want. The, you 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 want the thing they unleash to be like, kind of like neutral on its face. It's just kind of like causing havoc because you want all the more. Oh, I, yeah. Actually, the beastmen were a lot like this in that Hell's Rebels campaign because the beastmen were made. The beastmen aren't aligned to anything. They are a person gets infected with. I can't even remember what it was called. Like boiling blood was yeah the, something was like the that poison or whatever. Um, and it turns them into a beastman. And at that point, they are just sort of a slave to their mindless instincts for slaughter and death right um and they they join it in these war herds you can imagine something like that like a biological or like zombies would also be gonna say yeah. like this right not you know an, an a lich shows up and resurrects a bunch of zombies but like no like they like release a zombie play yeah, like science right? zombies right like I, ghouls yeah, might yeah, be yeah, the yeah. right way to do that in in uh in D and D parlance, although ghouls are have maintained some sentience, you you want you want something mindless. So that's the important part, right? Like, yeah, you, I mean, you can also just do it like with a, you know, and maybe there's a version. I think I think a lot of what makes something like this fun is the idea of uh, pulling in these these different pieces and referring back to them, right? Uh, like, so for instance, imagine maybe like in um, siege terms, right? You have something like a carnosaur right like a tyrannosaurus rex kind of thing right um and maybe you know maybe you have a um you know like maybe you have an empire that's using these war animals like these war beasts right um kind of in place of what we would think of as machinery they don't have tanks they have triceratops right they don't have um you know they don't have artillery in the sense of uh catapults they have like you know huge bugs that can spit giant globs of acid or something hundreds of hundreds of meters that these like crazy war druids have you know bred into existence this kind of thing right and the portal you and you can even say that the the portal 
that opens isn't a, or the the teleportation circle that you sabotage, right? Or I'm sorry, I guess that they sabotage, right? It doesn't open to um, when when their sabotage goes up. It's not that it opens a portal to another world. It's that it opens a portal to this sort of re these reinforcements, essentially. But it, which is maybe I guess a little different than a neutral sort of thing. But it would create that that kind of game-ending threat where well they're gonna win the battle because now they have this you know crazy unstable portal directly to their homeland um right that is, okay yeah, that makes sense maybe it's like but maybe it's terrible in some other way right like it's growing like a black hole right um or you know the the interaction between atmospheres or whatever is allowing some terrible crazy kind right. of like an invasive species to to take over yeah I, so yeah. i like in that case it doesn't have to be neutral you just have to set up that like you know, whichever army is doing this isn't native and like, you know, you know, you can defeat them here. But if they, you know, this portal essentially means that like they can bring the full might of their army, which no one doubts would be able to crush, crush you if they, they can get it through the portal, essentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, like, uh, yeah, no, I, yeah. the thing that popped in my head weirdly was like the, <laughs> the end of, um, Endgame, the Avengers mm -hmm. Endgame, right? Like, you know, like, basically the, villain, <laughs> the villainous version of that, right? Like, um, Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, that makes, that makes sense. That's, that's like your, your book six, right? Like, it's like, you know, fighting that off and, hmm. I think, hmm. Yeah, I I think essentially you, what you want book six to be is like that opens and then you find a solution. And then as you go to implement the solution, the rival party tries to keep you from implementing a solution. That's when you defeat them. Then you like, you know, spike the, you know, throw the the, the potion of unending, the, you know, closing the hole into the hole. Right. And, you know, and you solve the problem. Um, and then you basically... I I think I think you want to like not have to do so much cleanup, just a little bit, like maybe a little bit of like battle for the Shire type stuff, and then. I almost I kind of feel like this is like a Rogue One ending that I'm pitching, where it's oh, like yeah. you it's it's not just that you go to the portal, it's that you go through the portal and you have to close it on the other oh, side, yeah, that makes and sense. whatever that looks like, you know, you're in the palace of the enemy, right, and you need to shatter the crystal that is you know that is powering this portal and doing so doing that is going to get rid of your way home but that's just what a good soldier does right and i guess kind of that's sort of the 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 like the moral of the story in a, in a certain sense for like what some a campaign like this is about it's about like you know be being a good soldier like the best soldier you could possibly you could possibly be even when it means like sacrificing yourself by closing this portal that would otherwise like completely turn the tide of the war do you do you know have you have you ever played devil may cry 5 mm -mm. okay so spoilers for devil may cry 5 but at the end of that base so basically the the, the series main run long-running villain virgil has split himself into kind of like his pure evil self and like his emo self who is v um and Basically, the whole game is you. Uh, you're playing as Dante, 
um, Nero, who is Virgil's son, and V, which is Virgil's, like, you know, semi-good side, um, trying to stop Virgil from, like, fucking everything up. Um, but the end of that is um, basically Virgil and Dante, Virgil reforms to his true self, and Virgil and Dante dive through a portal and lock themselves, you know, close it from the other side. And basically the end credits is them back-to-back, like fighting through a horde of demons. I think that's kind of like, I think that's kind of what you want, right? Like, you know. Yeah. No, the, it's like, it's like the, have you ever played the end of Halo Reach? No. Okay. So Halo Reach has one of the best endings I've ever played, which is your, actually it's, it's not even an ending. What? So you do, you're doing this whole thing. You're, you're fighting the covenant Reach is like in the halo lore. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm halo familiar lore. with the concept, it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is the first planet that, uh, that gets attacked by the covenant. Right. Um, and, um, spoilers for halo. The, at the end. Yes. Point spoilers for halo. Uh, and at the end of halo reach, what happens is I think you, you hit the beacon. The covenant has shut off communications from reach. So nobody knows that reach is, is, being it is like being attacked but you hit the beacon that penetrates whatever and you send the message out to the you know the the earth the i think it's like the usmt or whatever um whatever they call the you know the space good guys people yeah yeah the space good guys in halo um that reach is being taken right and the fall of reach you know as the first planet in this you know like in this galactic conflict is like a really important piece of halo lore. um when you do that, it's like cool credits, heroic stuff or whatever. But then the credits end and you get your back with your character and you have your gun and you have your, you know, your ammo. And you're surrounded by all the guys you just killed in order to activate that cutscene. And then just more Covenants show up and you shoot them, right? Because what else are you going to do? You're going to shoot these Covenant. But there's no, there's nowhere to go. There's no, there's no evacuation. There's nobody to save you. You just keep shooting covenant until eventually they overwhelm you and you die and it's like oh my god brutal right there's there's no escape there's nowhere you could go you're just in this you know like ah oh, i loved that when i played it which was maybe like 10 years ago or whatever reach is a pretty old game i guess it's like 2009 i want to say maybe 2011 um and uh, uh and i feel like that would maybe be like the kind of ending that that you right where it's just like the combat doesn't doesn't end and they're just throwing more and more powerful stuff until eventually right like all of the heroes you know your sorcerer runs out of spell slots your you know uh your cleric runs out of healing and you guys die yeah i i think i think that's just a hard thing to i think i think from a system standpoint that's a hard thing to pull off in D D or pathfinder Right, like the, the mm-hmm. system is so noble bright by its nature that like it's really hard to put the characters in a situation that they can't run away from at the very least. But like I think I think you're right. Um Yeah, like you would have to and especially because like at that point you're so powerful you can be casting teleport, right? Like yeah. that kind of stuff. You'd have to figure out that. It's kind of like how when I when I did the campaign for Seventh Expedition, right? Uh, which is like fantasy Lewis and Clark, basically. Um, I had talked about how you probably have to get rid of some spells in order to make it work. Um, like it's hard to do that with Overland Flight as a spell, right? Um, where it's like, well, okay, well, obviously you just bring in a high level wizard, have them cast Overland Flight, boom, easy, right? Well, it's like, okay, we can't do that, right? Um, or even stuff like uh, 
create food and water kind of becomes problematic um, because, you know, part of the part of the, the the intention, the system's intention for that game is that you have to forage in order to keep yeah. your party right, you know, up and running, that kind of stuff. Um, anyway, we're kind of like at our hour. That's the that's sort of the, the end result of uh, of this Stalingrad pitch. Um, but that was that was what I that's what I had. I've had this one in the chamber for a long time, to be honest. Um, but it was a combination of Oppenheimer making me go back and learn to stuff so that I could yell at people about um, their dumb moralistic takes on the atomic bombs because everyone is so stupid about that. Uh, and playing Baldur's Gate that put me in this like headspace again. Yeah, no, I mean, like like I said, I've got a one of these days I will fully flesh out because I I've got a. This is this is a thing I might run at some point, so I don't want to be give too much away. But I've got an idea that's essentially like, essentially the campaign is like a, uh, it's like a it's like a hidden Cold War analogy, um, and like one of the one of the adventures in there is, um, essentially the the, the Bay of Pigs invasion, um, and you essentially don't reveal that to the like essentially you don't reveal that to the players, and you you, know, you see you see how it goes, right? Like. Um, um, Bay of Pigs Invasion, for people who don't know, is um, United like basically a bunch of Cuban nationals who are in the United States suit up and try and invade Cuba via the Bay of Pigs. Um, and um, I think it's Kennedy had promised to back them up, and uh, and basically decided that the the political bolt, like you know, essentially the international blowback, right? Like the the problems that would cause Russia wasn't worth it, and so basically refused to back up the frogmen. And so the Bay of Pigs invasion fails. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, um, I went to Miami to the Bay of Pigs invasion museum, where the guy there, was, like the guy who the guy who gave the talk, was a frogman, and he was like, "Fucking, he sold us out, right?" Like, and he was like, "We should have taken back Cuba, you know, things could have been great, right?" Um, but uh, you know, but like that—that's that, essentially my the in, in a very small nutshell. The pitch is like you invade, you promise you're gonna get back up, and then when you go to get back up, they're like, "Sorry, you know, we're backup's not coming, right? Backup's not coming for political reasons, and uh, you gotta figure out." I don't, I don't. It can end poorly, but I, I think, I think the fantasy there is like escaping or maybe even winning the Bay of Pigs invasion in, in, in that allegory. But that's like that. That's neither here nor there. No, I feel so. Another version of this pitch. This is actually a different kind of pitch but another version of this pitch was the you know so i i i was thinking about world war ii movies um world war ii is a really fun place to set movies because there's all these different interesting like locations it is a truly world war it's happening in tropical jungles in the pacific it's happening in you know the cold dark waters of the north atlantic right it's happening in the frigid russian steppe it's happening in you know the blitz right um and i there was a there was another part of me that was thinking wouldn't it be fun to do um essentially kind of like world war ii but magic right you know like a fantasy world war um where you have players who can kind of go do the greatest hits right and you could then in that version you could have books that it's like well maybe for a certain period of time they're with ships and they're doing the battle of midway right or a certain period of time they or they do normandy right and they go from that to normandy and then they go from you know normandy to stalingrad and then they go from stalingrad to you know um like tank battles like ella ella alamine 
El Alamine, El Alamine, I don't know, whatever the the big tank battle in North Africa is, like that stuff, right? Because um, I just think that there's a lot of, I don't know, I just think there's a lot of stuff you can kind of do with sort of a pitch like that. But at the end of the day, I sort of think that's too wide. All of those things kind of deserve to be their own sort of, um, uh, kind of in the same way that like doing a pirate campaign at the same time you're doing uh, like, uh, what would you, like what's another kind of campaign? Another campaign is a is like not a good thing. I you wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, no. Th- this is why the Cold War appeals to me as kind of like a framework, because it's a lot of kind of like small scale action, right? It's a lot of proxy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of espionage, which like you know is, is you know doable, but you know like spy shit you can do like on the player character level. Um, the risk with war stuff is that like the essentially the scale the scope gets a little too large for it to yeah. work for a, for an adventuring party. Um, but I think the Cold War is pretty perfect. Like, you know, the, the Cold War stuff is pretty perfect for that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, um, anyway, yeah, that's 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 time. So, what's what's going on in your life? You want to talk about? You want to talk about Gen Con? Yeah, I would say Take, speaking speaking Gen of Con? wars, I want to talk about some stuff at Gen Con. The I'm I'm going to go a little bit out of order, but one of the things I did was they did a national security decision making mega game, which um, I'm falling more and more in love with. Um, the way these work is it's a bunch of people. What, mega, mega games in general or just this? Na- specifically the national security decision making, right? Because there is like basically no mechanical systems in them, right? So uh, you, so I don't think you've been around for like we did one last year and I, I went solo this year. So I, I did one. But essentially it's a bunch of like old hats from some of them who used to be in like defense. And some of them are just like kind of like experts in the air in, in kind of like the area. And um Sometimes they run these these things for like you know the naval college right they 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 run for the professional and they run it for like you know hobbyists and enthusiasts and what they do is is they assign you a role and the role they assign you isn't necessarily a particular person it's kind of like the way they describe it, it's like a cone of people right one person gets assigned the president of the United States but you're not playing like you know Joe Biden you are playing the office of the presidency so that if you know the president in the course of the scenario gets assassinated it gets replaced he gets replaced and you're playing the office of the presidency right um and they hand these out at random so you don't like get to play with your friends um which is interesting um and they just, they don't tell you too much about what's happening right so i played it was it was like a near future science fiction mega game right and i thought there was going to be some fantastical elements last year i played one where like aliens contact this one it was like near future science fiction. like oh okay i get handed a card and it's essentially i am playing seoul south korea um the way the character is like the mayor of seoul south korea right um there's some people playing russia some people playing japan some people playing the united various parts of the united states game starts um they have a news feed on the wall and within like two minutes it says um there's f- there's like skirmishing in north korea and then a minute later Two ballistic nukes strike soul. Um, yeah, right? <laughs> um, and so it's just like, holy shit, right? Like, everybody's going crazy. I'm trying to get people evacuated out of Seoul, right? So, so the only mechanics in the game is you have a sheet with a thing you want to do, and you need to get approval from relevant parties, right? Like, I wanted to evacuate Seoul. I needed to get help from, you know, the military, help from industry and then you need to get like i you know to make it more effective i went and i got like the united states to dedicate some foreign aid right and so i'm busy moving people south meanwhile the president of seoul is like apparently has a bug up his ass about like the united states because the president isn't giving paying him enough attention so first he signs a loan with china for a bunch of money it's like we get that but like 
that's not good, right? Then I go back to them to try and get more funding for my like evacuation. And it's like, why did you guys sign a loan with China? Why didn't you come to us? And like, I don't know. I didn't want, I, I appreciate you. And it's like, this, and, and then the president tells us we're not allowed to meet with the United States unless they come to us. And I'm still trying to like get things done. Um, then within like, then what? So like they start, to, we start talking and the, the military is like, I, the, I need, I need to talk to the United States. They're like, they're our best military ally. Right. And one of the things in the back of my card, it says, is like, one of the things you can do is like initiate, like, you know, a vote of no confidence in the, in the, in the head of government. And so I, I, I had that written down. I was like, I might need to pull at some point. So I just pull it out of my pocket. I'm like, I don't know if we want to do this. Like, because, so the, the, the whole point of this is like, what they say is like, these don't prove anything, but it's to teach you how people like make decisions. And this like really became clear to me, right? They pull this out like, I don't know if we want to do this or not, but like, it's on the table. And then the president swings by and says, the United States military is pulling out of the peninsula. And literally every single one of like the military commanders just like comes over and signs me a sheet of paper saying no confidence in the, in, in the president of South Korea. Um, and we, then we like basically like browbeat the, 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 like the foreign or no, we browbeat the education minister into signing because that makes it a democratic overthrow instead of a military coup. Um, right. and I handed, oh my God, I handed it and I become president for like 10 seconds just as the game ends. Um, so it's like, it's like, this is like, this is like model UN, but fun. Have yes, you ever done model yes, UN yes, no, no, this is, that is exactly correct. It's just like model UN or model Congress. Um, it is so much fun. Um, I had less of a great experience last year. That's because I didn't quite get it, but, um, uh, it's so interesting. And then those, I, I didn't go to any this year, but those guys will give lectures too. Cause like, they're, like I said, they're old hats that like know, know, know stuff about that kind of thing. Um, so I highly recommend it to anybody going to Gen Con to check out national security decision-making. Um, That's so cool. I mean, it's funny yeah. because, uh, I've been doing, have, do you know the, the YouTube channel? Let me know. Have you, have you ever I have seen nothing these guys? No. Let me know is like a YouTube channel. They they um they recently blew up for a completely unrelated reason, right? Which is that um, XQC, the big streamer XQC, um, blew up. Uh, is this about the React video controversy thing? Yeah, the, yeah, this is like the React video stuff. Um, so let me know makes a video about the um. Let me know makes a video about the Kennedy assassination. Mm. Um, and it's not specifically a debunking video, right? But it does, if you follow the line of logic, obviously debunk any conspiracies around the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Basically, the most conspiracy thing I would consider probably on the planet, right? Like, I think most people think that there was some other – right? Because, Jesus, the story of the assassination of John F. Kennedy is kind of fucking crazy on its face. Some random guy named Lee Harvey Oswald fires off three shots, works completely alone, kills the president of the United fucking States of America. He goes into interrogation with the FBI that isn't recorded for, I think, two days. And as he's being transferred to another prison, another guy shows up, kills him, kills himself. How is that not a conspiracy, right? But the thing that the Let Me Know guy does is he really just sort of breaks down the whole, everything that happened that day. All the witness testimony, right? Like what people saw, what they were talking about, what they were doing. And it's just like, it's so 
everything is so coincidental, it couldn't possibly be a conspiracy, right? <laughs> the way Lee Harvey Oswald got that job is his wife was talking to a, a neighbor, right, who he'd never met. The neighbor mentioned that her brother got a job at the book depository in Dallas, and she and they she sent like Lee that job listing or whatever, and then he got that job a couple of weeks before the the Kennedy assassination. It's like you couldn't, you can't do that. That doesn't make any like no CIA. FBI lizard man conspiracy could make that random set of events transpire, right? They had to have happened that certain sort of way. And then he says that he, he kind of goes through all of this witness testimony about how, um, you know, kind of unreliable a lot of people uh, are. And it's one of those things where in most conspiratorial frames of thinking, right, when you hear witness testimony that doesn't line up with what you have been told, that sets off red flags that oh, some, something is amiss. But when you hear that every witness in this case, some people heard six shots, some people heard four, some people heard two or whatever. And it's like one guy who's a firearms expert said, I heard three shots, but I also heard the like the ricochet echo, whatever it would be called, right? Off of the walls of the shot. It's like, oh, that guy is actually probably right, you know? And everybody else who are describing more shots are wrong. Stuff about like that, you know, all this stuff with the grass, you know? And when you line all of those up right next to each other, it just makes it absurd to hear any of these people describe testimony that is like counter, like counter. It's just so, like, yes, people are unreliable human beings. Obviously, that's how things So, so, you know, so like, the other part go. of this, like the real JFK conspiracy is like mm. the Harvey Oswald was like an avowed communist. I think he like defected or was like thinking of defecting or something like that. And the Russians pushed these conspiracy theories because they didn't want to start a fucking war with America, right? Like they didn't want people to think Lee Harvey Oswald assassinated the president on the orders of the Soviet Union because they didn't order it. They didn't fucking want that to happen. The guy was just a fucking, you know, Crazy communist, yeah, he defected right? To, he defected. He did, in fact, defect to the Soviet Union, and he defected back because he thought he was going to be welcomed. Like he thought he was going to get all this cool stuff for being a defector. But no, it turns out sort of his life sucked in the U.S. and it also sucked in the USSR, and so he just defected right back. Right. And he literally walked into the he walked into the embassy and he said, "I'd like my passport back." Um, after he had renounced his citizenship and the poor bookkeeping, I you know or whatever um the bookkeeping was so bad uh that they didn't realize that he had like renounced his citizenship and they just gave him a new passport because why not right like he's an american citizen who wants a new passport obviously kind of thing and, and it's just like all of that stuff makes me the least conspiracy-minded person on the planet all of the world is defined by individual people who are just trying to make decisions and a lot of those are really like incredibly tangled webs of like information and misinformation and confirmation bias and all these other sorts of and things. Just like so I really empathize. Yeah. Things you don't think of something that the guy pointed out, like one of the leaders pointed out, no one fired on North Korea. No one said, you know, launch, you know, launch nukes back. Right. Cause like not only did they bomb Seoul, they bombed like Shanghai and they bombed Alaska right oh. but like nobody wanted to fucking like set off the firestorm so no one actually launched anything back right like everybody's just like still trying to figure out how to deal with the fallout and no one actually bothers to like you know people are starting to like make a military advance 
right? But like no one actually like no one actually launched like, no one actually fires back into 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 Pyongyang, right? Like, you know, this is the thing, same thing that happened last year, right? Um you get aliens contact the earth, and this is like Cold War era in in that scenario. Mm. And so people start like talking to each other and like America and Russia start negotiating how they're going to deal with this. No one messages the aliens back and try and figure out what they're up to. Right. Everybody just gets caught in their own circles trying to deal with everything that's happening around them. They missed like kind of the obvious step. Um, you know, it's funny. We did one of these when I was in high school. We did a uh, we did a, our own congressional Congress. Right. Where. um people were different delegates right you weren't obviously there's like however many kids in a class like 23 kids in a class there's like a gazillion delegates um but there's also more states than that so it's like different people were different um sort of factions of delegates inside of their individual states um and uh uh and i was pennsylvania i was the i think i was like the liberal wing of or like the the revolutionary wing of pennsylvania the delegation um which is like the ben franklin sort of right okay, you yeah. know um but uh the thing that i we were doing the congressional congress and someone pitched a senate and a the and, continental uh, congress oh i'm sorry continental congress why i'm saying congressional the continental congress somebody pitched the senate and um and the house of representatives or whatever um and i pitched a third body I pitched a third body of government where I was like, if we want this government to be of the people that I think just like you can be, cause we had, we had established jury duty by that point. Um, I was like, you can be pulled to be essentially a congressperson. Um, and I was like, that way you could never have the, you know, you could never have um, uh, the Senate and like the Congress deadlock, because you always have something to break the tie. Another, another body of, uh, another body of Congress. And we, we did this whole thing. This was like a week, or we did this whole thing. We created a whole thing um, that was built around. Um, uh, funnily enough, it was built around professions. Is the way that is the way that I, we ended up, sort of like letting it break down. Where the idea was, um, it was almost kind of class based. But it was more it was a little more specific than that. You had a certain number of teachers, you had a certain number of merchants, you had a certain number of whatever else. Um, and at the end of that, my my teacher was like, You guys never made a presidency. <laughs> you got so wrapped up in you know, you guys got so wrapped up in this like this crazy Congress stuff that you never actually established that there would be a president and an executive branch, um, which I thought was funny. Though he also said that like our he said most years people just kind of walk in the footsteps of history right they make a, a, a house they make a senate they get a certain concessions you do you do the three-fifths compromise that's kind of like what stuff is like built for right to kind of show the decision making and the compromise and all that other kind of thing uh it was like you like the, going off on this wild tangent of having a whole nother body of you know lawmakers in congress is not something that's but yeah anyway ah oh, god i love that shit so much that's yeah Hey, if you ever come back to Gen Con, that's uh that's the thing oh, to check out. I know. Out. I really I would have done Gen Con, but next week I'm doing a big meetup. We're doing the Akupara shell out. Um and before that I had done uh I had done Sequoia's with uh with yeah. Rachel. So we had just gotten done doing doing big trips. Yeah. Plus so... I would have missed out on fucking Baldur's Gate. But can I tell you, I bought Baldur's Gate. Let's take a look. I bought Baldur's Gate Friday night, okay? On like it was, it was Friday night. Friend of the friend of the cast, Charles, pinged me. It was like, hey, I'm thinking about buying Baldur's Gate, but I don't want to like, I don't want to go crazy. I want to play with a group. Um, and I was like, sure. And I pinged 
other friend of the cast, Josh, and other friend of the cast, Lou, and we ended up playing that night. And then I was like, and then I told Rachel, I was like, this game, this game is fun. You'll, you'd like this game. 29 hours later, 29 hours in two days, <laughs> I can say Baldur's Gate is fun as fuck, okay? Um, it, I, I can't believe I have to say this. D&D 5e is better than Pathfinder, I think. And I don't know that I would have made oh, that. Oh, I, I just I disagree with 100%. But that is that that is I think that's like a CRPG versus TTRPG thing. You so okay, it might be that. Playing Kingmaker, which I really you know like I fell down that rabbit hard. But playing Kingmaker kind of next to playing Baldur's Gate. Um it's nuts. I, how much better D&D 5e and I mean, which to be fair, maybe it's specifically, you know, I, yeah, there's I'm, some other like, stuff. That, this is Larian versus Owlcat, I think in that case, right? Like really why? Oh, because Owl, Owlcat is not a triple eight. Larian had like, like five or six years to make the most complete RPG they could out. Like, you know, Wrath of the Righteous and Kingmaker are good, but they are kind of like notoriously hard, notoriously buggy. I actually, I played Rogue Trader, the new Owlcat game at Gen Con, and it's just kind of like, it's just like, I don't think that's a, a product of the systems. I think that's a product of like the ability to do, like from what I have seen, and I haven't put fingers on Baldur's Gate yet just because I've, I've been away. Like you can get close to the tabletop experience because they put in the effort to give you that kind of thing. Whereas like- okay. So I'm I'm making a, a slightly different point, okay. which is that I think um, for so part of it is I do think it is tabletop versus CRPG. One of the things that became pretty evident pretty quickly to me playing Pat Kingmaker is how fucking broken buffs are from right or like sort of spellcasters. Right, you have to have somebody who casts haste at the beginning of every fight because it's just so good to buff your entire party with an additional attack and a full attack or a full round action all that other kind of thing um uh that's like that's like a piece of it and i think that is a, a true result of tabletop versus crpg in tabletop when you play wizard it's not fun to buff people which is why i think they're so powerful right it's like a balancing mechanism but the balance isn't about like raw numbers the balance is about it should be fun for a wizard to cast a buff on his friends and the fun thing about that is that it's so incredibly strong, right? Um, in a CRPG where you're not dealing with individualized personalities, right, and like wants and goals and desires and all that other sort of thing, right? You, but but haste is still as powerful as haste is. You don't have to ameliorate a wizard player. You can just cast haste at the beginning of every combat encounter. Right, you can just do that if you want, um, and I think, and so that's that's something that I think yeah, is like you know, I, RPG, but tabletop stuff. I, I think you, I think there's also you've also got a point about like PF one e versus five e has like PF Pathfinder gets pretty quickly into rocket tag territory. Um, PF one e like haste and PF two e affects one person and it doesn't give you as many things to do, right? Like you know. Yeah, that's probably fair. To be fair, I am specifically comparing one e not two e. Um, but the thing about 5e that that also feels insane is advantage is such a great system for feeling good about taking certain kinds of sort of like checks or whatever, right? Um, one of the things I'm doing in Baldur's Gate, and this is a, a sort of a CRPG tabletop sort of thing, I'm playing a rogue, right? Um, I think rogue gets simplified real like a lot by just saying, do you have advantage? Yes, no. If you do, sneak attack. If not, 
well, no sneak attack, right? Um, and a lot of what I'm doing is like, okay, well, what are the different ways that I can find advantage in a right? Um, part of this is like I've equipped a hunting bow, right? Like a, a hunting short bow that says when you're attacking a certain type of monster, right? You have advantage on those attacks. Well, that's just sneak attack on everything, right? That feels great, right? Um, uh, but like flanking and stuff doesn't quite work the the way that it normally sort of would, and that's okay um, because you have to you have to find like interesting stuff. But I think the advantage and disadvantage is just such a simple, elegant way to impart that to a player that it's really man, I that's a really good system. It's I really like advantage. The one thing I would say uh, that's interesting about Pathfinder though. Um, uh, especially 2E is you have degrees of success, right? You have critical yeah. successes by beating a thing like five or more or whatever. Or I think more. that's actually really, like, really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I would be interested to see what a Pathfinder 2E sort of Baldur's Gate kind of looks like for them. Yeah, I think I would be too. Um, I don't think there's anything in the works right now uh, for for it, but uh, I, I think I agree. Um, but so, but anyway, when I, when I said that I think D&D is better than Pathfinder, you would say... 2e pathfinder 2e is better than dnd 5e is what I, you're I prefer it but that's that's part of like part of 5e's thing is bounded accuracy right and mm -hmm. so like i feel like i appreciate the mechanical complexity of 2e a lot more than i do of 5e um and part of that part of that is also just kind of like you know it's individual i think i think i think too uh, way too much of it is in fact your dm and in this case that's like you know Al Cat versus, um, you know, Larian, right? Like, um, I think Baldur's Gate 3 is probably a better written adventure than any of the Pathfinder adventure paths. That's not throwing shit at any of the adventure path people. It's just like, you only have so much time and resources to write a book, right? And you can only write so many pages of it. Um, it's not the old way. Uh, I will point out the PF2, uh, so Lou in the chat says, Grandpa Michael Mango likes the old way. PF2 is newer than 5e at this point. Um, so, uh, it's it, it it is it is the the newer way. I I like the deeper mechanical complexity, um. But I like I I just always I always think it comes down to like adventure design. Like something something the anger GM likes to say is like is that D and D and Pathfinder and RPG systems they are not games. They are game systems. The game designer is the GM, and if and so it comes down to that a lot. And like I think it's very easy for adventure paths to kind of like when you're playing an adventure path to kind of like fall into like rotely running it like you put a lot of effort into making hell's rebel something special and unique but a lot of people don't do that and i think the owlcat games are pretty bog standard versions of those adventure paths um whereas i think blarian did something special with Baldur's gate 3 they had the time and the resources um and the kind of like permission to like go a whole all out on it and so you've got like uh what seems to be a masterpiece right like um, yeah i mean i will say that a piece of this puzzle is just raw game design stuff one of the things that Baldur's gate does that i prefer compared to kingmaker is it limits your party to four um yeah. pathfinder in wrath and in kingmaker um you can have six people in the party and i think that's too many i think a party of four creates contours that are actually really interesting to explore because you have strengths and weaknesses, right? Um, you don't just, you like one of the things a six player party can have everything, 
They can have a face, right? Um, they can have uh, lock picks. They can have, uh, you know, trap finding. Um, they can have animal handling. They can have a healer. They can have a tank. They can have melee DPS and range DPS. They can have an arcane caster and a giant caster, right? Um, all of these sorts of things are covered. And, um, and in a certain sense, it's fun, right? Like, one of the things I liked about playing Pathfinder Kingmaker was finding different configurations that all sort of did effectively the same thing, right? It's kind of... Um, it's kind of the fun of like building a, of like Tetris in a way, yeah. right. Um, of like filling in every gap so that you have a kind of like a perfect structure. That's, that, that's like a fun thing. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to get haste from this caster. I'm going to get this from that caster. Uh, I'm going to be able to do traps from this, be able to do healing from that person. Right. And you have a bunch of different people who can fill these roles, but with a couple of like little overlaps or whatever, maybe you don't have a true tank, right. But you have a, um, you know, a, a, a druid that can swap into bear form and a cleric in heavy armor and kind of both of them together sort of makes a tank, right? That kind of, that kind of thinking, that kind of thing. Um, Baldur's Gate is very different. Baldur's Gate, in order to make a party, you, you have to give shit up. You can't, you can't have everything. You can't have a tank, a healer, a arcane spellcaster, um, a rogue, you know, or somebody doing like lock picks, somebody doing trap finding. Um, you know, you can't have da- you just can't have everything. You can't have it all. Uh, and I think that's really interesting. That's like a really compelling piece of sort of the game is like figuring out what who I want in my party to do to do stuff. Part of this is that I've only I I have not played solo. I have played with people, right? So I played with our our group on that Friday night, and then the rest of my time I was playing with Rachel. Um, and playing with Rachel was really neat because it gave us playing two people with Baldur's Gate. You can, you fill out half your party with kind of AI companions, right? Uh, but you control those companions, right? Um, so it's about, okay, these two party members are set in this case, it's my, me playing a rogue, she's playing a bard. Um, and it's who are those last two slots going to? And we each get one choice, right? So when I'm choosing a fighter who can use fighter stuff in order to give me advantage on attack rolls, right? I'm playing somebody who's synergistic kind of with my, with my fighting style, right? Um, she's playing, you know, uh, like a warlock. It's different. And it's, 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 it's that kind of stuff that I think is, that I think is neat. Anyway, Baldur's Gate 3, boy, did that suck me in uh, this whole weekend. And yeah, it's a good game. We'll talk about it more, I guess, next week. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, other things from Gen Con, what else did I play? Um, I played uh, Bulldogs, Bulldogs Exclamation Point, which is a fate-based system. And the, basically the idea is like, if you picked a bunch of people from the Moss Isaac Cantina and made them ship cargo... Um, and it's super fun. It's super goofy. I love that game. I picked up a copy of it. Um, it's from like an independent game developers network. I played as a, basically like a, a sentient gremlin that could like imitate anything's voice. And, um, the guy had a bunch of systems kind of like basically generating what the issue, like, you know, it's like you're transporting wine, roll some dice. And the issue is, is it's hard to transport and roll some dice. And it turns out that like, like, you know, so the players are playing into it, too. So it's like, oh, the wine is just being transported in the hold. It's not actually in anything. Um, you know, it's it's relatively mechanics light and, fun, you know, kind of like fun heavy. Great for, for a one shot, right? Like, we played a bunch of games like this, it, like, in concept and kind of like form. It reminded me a lot of that uh, Mask of the Luchador game we played a couple of years ago. Um, uh, what else did I play? I played 
another mega game called Oligopoly, which was interesting in that it was basically a giant board game, right? And it was like kind of the least mega gamey of any of the mega games. It was just like a lot of people playing like a, a custom type of board game. It was fun, but it wasn't like a lot of kind of like, you know, go to the GM and see if you can like do this weird thing that's like not, you know, circumscribing the rules. It was a very much like do exactly what's in the rules and like try and get people to trade things with you and that kind of thing. Um, hmm. uh, there was a, there were a couple of things that, that have like, you know, um, basically the idea is, is some players played cities, some players played corporations in those cities. Um, and basically Houston and Dallas immediately merged with each other and they basically swept the game, which like, I think just like basically broke the mechanics of the game, but you know, still was a lot of fun. Um, uh, what else did I play? Um, let me, let me, oh, I played Pirate Borg. Have you heard of Morkborg? Mm -mm. So Morkborg is this kind of like heavy metal styled kind of like rule, like, you know, uh, rules, light, um, you know, hardcore blood and gore thing. And Pirate Borg is this custom thing that's basically like, you know, uh, think Pirates of the Caribbean, but with like a shading of like, metal and like you know even a little bit darker um and that was super fun a uh, part of it was the gm the gm played was you know had like the you know the secondary character along with his name was swabby and he did a great job playing it um a lot of like piratiness to it that was super fun i played um tales of the valiant which is kobold press when when wizards was like you know and we're changing the ogl Cobalt Press was like, and we're gonna we're gonna make our own game. I was like, oh, I'm interested to see what this is. Are we gonna get another Pathfinder? Tales of the Valiant felt like five E with the like numbers filed off so much so that like, like I feel like there's less difference between Tales of the Valiant and five E than there is between the Pathfinder two and the Pathfinder two E remaster. And that's maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but like there's like four things that I could tell that were different, um, and that's basically it. Um, but, you know, it was still fun. I played a little scenario where, you know, we basically fend off um, an army of goblins and an army of zombies. Um, what else did I play that was, uh, that was fun? Um, I play tested a game um, that I can't remember the name of. That was neat. Oh, um, the one kind of negative experience I had, and I don't want to put this on the, on the people that made the game. Basically, the small indie games company, they made a game called Darwin Awards. And Darwin Awards is this card game where it's kind of like, think of like a, any of these kind of like storytelling games. Where you get, get some stuff and you have to like tell a story around it. And you get a bunch of cards. You have to tell a story about how when someone dies stupidly and the idea is to make it as funny as possible. Um, and I just don't think the cards worked well together. Like I think too many of the things overlapped. It, it, it was weird because like it had like an item, a place, an action, and a cause of death. But, like, often it was just, like, so overlapping that, like, you know, like, there was, like, I got, I got like, Butter Knife, um, Jungle Gym as the place, um, uh, falling off a cliff while taking a selfie as the cause of death and, um, removing a tree branch as my action. And th there's just, like, too much overspecified there, right? Like, I really wanted to just, like, pull off one of them. Like, I think, I actually think that... You could solve most of the problems with the game by getting rid of the cause of death pile and just having people do, you know, location, item, action, 
because the cause of death, I think, just like prescribes too much. Um, the other thing was is that they had an After Dark version, and I don't want to put any blame on them because they asked if it was cool, right? And I was like, sure, I'm not a prude, right? And the cards were just too much, especially for me to do with like, do with strangers, right? Like I pulled the card and it was like, you know, Sex Master 6000 Pussy Pump. And I'm like, I can't talk about, I, I just can't do this right now. And so I was like, thank you. This is a great time. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> and I walked away. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, it's, you know, I still want to say that, like, you know, it was, it was still, it was still an interesting time. And so, you know, that's all you can ask for. Right. Um, other thing, like I bought a bunch of nonsense in the, in the hall, the big story coming out of, at least when I was there, all, all the Uber drivers were telling me about it. Somebody walked in the back of Gen Con on Wednesday, took a pallet fork and just stole $300,000 worth of collectible trading cards. Like, yeah, um, look at, looked at the camera while they were doing it. So they know like the, the, they're trying to figure out who it was, but you know, um, but, uh, uh, Disney was premiering a new card game called Lorcana, which everybody, like people were waiting like six hours in line for. I was like, what the fuck is this? Who cares? Um, uh, I, like I said, I, Disney adults, am I right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Gen Con is back like. Two years ago, it was half full. Last year, it was pretty full. This year, it was more full than I've ever seen it, especially on – like, the trading hall – the exhibition hall was full on, like, Sunday at noon, which is, like – usually, it's kind of, like, thinned out by then. Um, people were selling out of stuff. I spent too much money on a set of dice that I want to show because they are very pretty. Ooh, look at that. What, what makes them so special? They are – so here, let me, let, me, let me pull out a single dice so I don't, like, dump them all out. So – I don't know if you can see that. Here, let me let me put my hand behind it so it focuses. Um, it's like layered stone that's fused together. Oh, oh, fancy! Yeah, the company is level up dice. Um, they also give they gave me Tim Tam, they give you Tim Tams with a purchase because they're like a British company. Um, um, uh, I spent over a hundred dollars on this set, which is like more than I would usually. <laughs> But basically, I said to myself, I didn't buy six systems that I'm never going to play, so I can, you know, afford to splurge on the dice a little bit this time. But there was some, you know, as always, there's cool stuff there. Um, I, you know, uh, it was super fun. I always love going there. Um, and I'll be going back again next year unless, uh, you know, fate prescribes otherwise. But, uh, you know, Gen Con was a great time. Um, okay. And you were sorely missed, as was everybody else. But... Uh, yeah, I, you know, yeah, I guess we're, we're becoming 30-year-olds with, like, stuff to do, right? Uh, yeah, stuff to do. <laughs> I was, like, thinking about it, like, you know, you had, uh, you had like, work stuff. Nick had work stuff. Many other friends of the cast were either, are either in the process of or have recently had a child, right? And it's, like, that's, like, the, like when I realized it was, like, three or four people were, like, it, it was kid-related, I was, like, oh, that's why, like, you know, are like you know it's usually like younger guys and older guys it's because the kids yep. right like yeah yeah uh well i'm glad you had a good time i don't know maybe maybe next year we'll yeah, see hey. uh maybe one of these years evo won't be the same weekend as gen con so i can go to both again um but yeah. i heard evo was hype as hell uh people yeah. were going nuts on twitter for whatever the final like match was or whatever there's some guy was he blind and he was winning street fighter matches or something like that oh um, i was i was not aware of this i know I, the big one thing i saw was like um leffen and mango who are um did, not me um who are uh the smash players i guess we're playing strive and like 
I think Leffen's kind of like an internet villain. Um, and Mango's oh, yeah. kind of Leffen like, is, uh, yeah. Leffen, Leffen's a, a heel, heel. And, and Mango's a face. And uh, Leffen won. Apparently pretty hard. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Drama. Yeah. Um, very much drama. But, yeah. No, um, I have not caught up on the Evo coverage yet just because I was at Gen Con. Um, but, uh, you know. That's that. That's been that. Uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about with your week before we punch out? No, we we and we just call it call it a day. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, if you'd like to email us with any of the things that you heard about on this podcast, which is dirtsplaygames@gmail.com or podcast.dirtsplaygames.com, you can follow us at twitch.tv/dirtsplaygames or youtube.com/slash/at/some/dirtsplaygames. These go out live. Uh, rate reviews wherever you find podcasts. Um, that's everything I had. But do you have anything you're looking to promote? uh not this week i don't have anything i'm looking to promote well in that case i'm going to say uh, until next time dear listeners until next time loyal listeners